0: This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Welcome to Killer Innovations. This is Phil McKinney, your host. Uh, It's hard to believe we're coming up on the end of season 11. Yes, season 12 for this show will start at the end of March. I was thinking back the other day. I launched the show March 28th in 2005. Have to keep reminding people that I've been podcasting um, before uh, iTunes, and since July of this year, we are now nationally syndicated on BizTalk Radio, carried about on about 30 stations or so across the country. Um, we are still in temporary space. Um, if you happen to be listening live, feel free to hop over to Facebook. Facebook, um, I'm, we stream the video live out on the Facebook so you can actually uh, see the show as it's being produced here uh, in the live segments. Uh, for those of you who are live, you can actually see some of the construction going on behind me here. Hopefully we will be in the new and uh, studio by uh, February 28th. That's the target date um, for the first show to be produced under the new studio. So back to the history of this show here. The motivation or the original motivation for this show was really as a result of uh, my mentor, Bob Davis. Bob hired me in my first job, uh, persuaded me to, to uh, come to uh, work for him. Uh, I was in a company out in Naperville, Illinois. Bob was a big-name software guy in the old mainframe days of the 60s and 70s. But Bob had such a huge influence on my career. Uh, He was one of those guys that said I could be the world's greatest software engineer, which was what my background was, or he says you could be the best all-around kind of business person. So he rotated me through. I did six months in software. I did six months in sales. I did six months in marketing. I actually did six months in finance. I did six months um, in uh, executive uh, program managing, and it was really that kind of started my career. I ended up going to uh, three businesses as part of Bob's team. Bob now is retired, um, lives in uh, lives in Arizona. Uh, but the impact that he had on my career is profound. Um, it really was kind of that ultimate mentoring experience of rotating throughout the business and really getting that overall experience. So a number of years ago, I went back to Bob and I asked him, "Of well, how do I pay it back? The amount of time he put into my career, and the impact that he had on me and my professional life. And he basically said, hey, you, you can't pay me back. What I what he asked me to do was to pay it forward, share my experiences, my expertise. Um, and that's what really was the catalyst for when I started doing the, the Killer Innovations podcast back in March of 2005. And in fact, it was March 28th, 2005, Sitting in a hotel room, Marriott, in Phoenix, Arizona, I was there for a, a trade show, and uh, simply plugged a microphone into the side of a laptop, did a recording, uh, posted it up on my blog site, and uh, like as we say, the rest is history. Now as we're coming up, we're you know we'll end, ending season 11 at the end of March, we'll start season 12, um, and I'm not quite sure how to celebrate the starting of season 12. Um, if you have some ideas, let, let me know. Uh, you can always email me at Phil at um, at the when we did when we passed the first hundred shows, which we did in the first two years, uh, we actually invited listeners to actually send in recordings. You could actually send in your um, you know your comments, your thoughts about the show, um, you know those kinds of things in. and people sent in audio files and video files. You can actually go back and find it in the old archive. Um, and listen to that. So that's one way we've done a celebration. But we haven't really done a celebration since show 100. So if you've got some ideas, let me know. Now, let's pick up where we're going to go with the show this week. So if you remember, two weeks ago, we were discussing uh, creating innovation timelines. And innovation timelines are really those things about how do you predict uh, the future? How do you go about the whole process of... Of laying out what is the the vision for your organization, for your team, for the changes that you're going to make. And I actually shared with you, and there's availability. You can go over to Kill Innovations. You can look for that show. It's two weeks ago. Um, there's a bonus in there. You can actually download the actual uh, uh, an example timeline that I had from from years back, so you had a feeling for what I what how what I was talking about. And last year, we talked about what we call scouting checklists. So now you've created the timeline. Now you've got to go out and scout to understand the context. What is it that other people are doing in those areas? So pick those high priority ones off your timeline and then actually go off and do a methodical kind of scouting activity, looking at universities and governments and other businesses and uh, looking through patent portfolios, et cetera, to see. Who's doing maybe some interesting areas in the same space? The importance is to have context so that when you go into brainstorming activities, you actually have, you know what you're looking for. You're not guessing. You can actually go out and uh, understand what's been done or what's being done in that space and then focus your efforts on um, breaking new ground, really come out, coming up with that killer idea that's really going to be transformative. So this week, this is where we're going to pick up. So this week, we're going to take that next step and discuss how to take all of this in and generate the ideas. Now, we're not going to get all the way to walking you through uh, what, uh, how I run my brainstorming sessions. We'll do that in a future show. But what we're going to talk about is is kind of look back to see how most people run their brainstorming activities and why those are not the best ways to do it. I'm going to share with you the six golden rules for innovate for brainstorming, and these are kind of the rules that I've just learned for, through hard knocks, uh, having done literally, you know, hundreds of brainstorming activities for myself, for the businesses I've been involved in, outside businesses that I that I help and advise, um, and then the last is we'll talk about leadership role. If you're gonna lead it, if you're leading a brainstorming session. That, that's a lot of responsibility. You've got to treat it seriously, and you've got to prepare. So we're going to talk about the historical look at, at brainstorming sessions. I'm going to share with you the six golden rules of brainstorming that I've come up with over my years. And then we're going to talk a little bit about leadership, and that should take us through uh, the rest of this show. So let's take a step back. In my experience, most brainstorming sessions fail because they lack an effective plan. Basically, most organizations treat it like a meeting. They have no agenda, there's no stated objective. Now recently I sat down with a friend, I'll just call him David, names changed to protect the innocent. As he told me about, he was basically trying to work on his own brainstorming ideas for his company. Now many companies think they have a plan simply by the fact that they sent out a meeting invite. That's not the case. Now he was frustrated because he thought he put a lot of time and thought into organizing the brainstorming session, but he didn't see really any kind of substantial results. Um, So I asked him to walk me through, share with me, how did you do it? What were the steps you went through? So the first thing David did is, he really decided that he needed to do something. There was some impetus that he's gonna have to get out there and really go try to do something. He got together with a few coworkers and, and they decided that they needed to do something because there were some pivotal changes coming to their uh, industry. Sales were down, You know, there were competing products, there was all kinds of new activities in social media, um, and there was really new methods to distribute the products that they were offering. Um, but they, all of these things were challenging, competition, new distribution means, um, new customer requests, new customer demands that the industry never experienced before. They really felt that these core issues was their customer's ability to evolve and really to thrive. They had to meet these changes. They had to go through this the, these transitions. So David wrote a quick email, blasted it out to his uh, people, and basically he asked them, how should we change in order to align with the sweeping changes that are facing the industry? Now, he sent this email company-wide. Um, and he set out a date in the future to do this. At the given hour he got everybody together, and you know, this is how it always happens, right? Someone says, oh, oh, I'll be the scribe, and everybody's whipping out ideas and someone flips it down. Then someone says, Oh, I'll type it up. They type it all up, they put it into an email, and they send that email around. What happens? Now be honest, what happens? Nothing. Nada. Nothing happens with those. In this case, David got this big long list. He got distracted on the other priorities. Month later, no progress. Nothing happened. And in effect, he basically trained his team that this kinds of brainstorming activities just are not gonna produce anything. And so he actually teaches the team not to put their best effort forward. They're not gonna try something. Now I'm guessing that most of us have had kind of that similar experiences, but brainstorming are invaluable and essential tools when they work and you do them well, right? Now these guys made a lot of mistakes, you know, from you know, how they did it and how they sent the emails, but none of these are really flaws of character, passion, or the ability on the part of participants. So we're gonna take this quick commercial break. When we come back, we're gonna take a little bit of look about what those mistakes were, and then we're gonna go on and show, give you the six golden rules. So stay right where you're at. You're listening to Phil McKinney on Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network.
0: BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Welcome back to Killer Innovations. We are discussing the processes, or really the failings, of brainstorming. Now, we've all heard the term. We've all been part of those groups. As we shared in the last segment, we've all had that experience of being thrown into a room, come up with really great ideas, put them on some kind of a list, type that list up, share them about, and then nothing happens. There are just some simple, inherent weaknesses in the way brainstormings have been done in the past. That you know, And this is really the status quo. We've all learned, you know, we've all experienced it, or we've been asked by our boss to run brainstorming sessions. So what are some of those failings? Well... With all my years of having run brainstorming in the old way and then coming up with my own way, my own approach to doing brainstorming, I've come up with the six rules, what I call the six golden rules of brainstorming. Now, the general market uses the term brainstorming. In order to separate it, you'll also hear me sometimes say, you know, a a killer innovation workshop. Um, And they basically are the same thing. I just use a different term sometimes to kind of put it in people's minds that it's different. It's not like the old brainstormings. So these six rules I've come up with out of you know just years of having gone through the pain of running brainstorming sessions that where you just had no impact in the end. So we're gonna dive right in. We're gonna cover three in this segment. We'll cover three in the next segment. So we've got to move quickly here. So rule number one, set a focus. Focus is essential. You know, pick one aspect of your industry and organization and decide whether you want to look at you know, what you're selling or who you're selling it to or how your business is operating. Don't try to do them all at one time. Pick one. If you give participants a great set of focus, then they actually forces them to dig deeper. They're not just out there with kind of no guidance. So the first thing out is you give them focus, they will will actually dig deeper because they know where to look. They're not out there just, you know, uh, floundering. Second, Focus not only produces better ideas because they go deeper, but it also reduces anxiety for those that are really uh, driving. You know the, the, these activities, right? Th- they, people who don't do a lot of brainstorming, they they get a lot of stress. They don't think of themselves as creative, and they don't want to be embarrassed by looking stupid. Brainstorming sessions should not be a snipe hunt um, for ideas. It's you know it should be a safe and open environment. And so in this case, pick one. All, there's a lot of potential areas. And eventually, you should work through them all. Pick one. And at some point in the future, like I said, you should attack them all. But if you don't pick one, you will flounder. So that's rule number one, set a focus. Rule number two, assign homework. Now, I use it as killer questions. I'll, add, I'll assign a couple of killer questions out to people. But homework is important because you have to give them context. You know, it's critical to ask your, your, your group to actually go think about it before they come into the brainstorming. Don't waste the time in the brainstorming session and don't make assumptions that you, that they, that you know what they're uh, – that they know or don't know. So do – assign these ho- – sign homeworks. Now, we can be killer questions. If you follow the step from last week where you've created your scouting reports, you've gone through the scouting checklist and created a scouting report in a certain area – Let that be your focus. And the homework is read those scouting reports and then dig even uh, deeper. Now, if the questions are too vague, if you've set up and just asked them very simple questions, um, people will flounder. They're not going to find their way. In this case, I would suggest you pick two killer questions. The ones that I like to use are, what industries are analogous to ours and what can we learn from them? Or what will future customers' buying criteria be? And you can actually go back in through the archive of killer innovations, and you can find uh, the, the. And actually, I've done both of these on the radio show, so you can uh, listen to actually how I use those. And I would assign these two weeks prior to the the workshop or the brainstorming session. Send out the killer questions to all the participants, and explain that you're looking for for very specifically for observations and ideas around those questions, which means. Get people up out of their chairs, get them out of their desk, and actually go out and see and go out and talk with people, talk to customers, talk to whoever they need to to answer these questions. And be clear that you're assigning this as homework and that the homework requires that they got to get out there and do that, and they've got to report back when the brainstorming session. So, right out of the gate, two weeks prior to the brainstorming session, assign them a couple of killer questions or however you want to have them do the homework with the expectation when they come in, they're going to share observations. They're not going to share readings. They're not going to share clippings from what they read online. They're actually going to go out and talk to people. Critical. And then rule number three is encourage investigation. Now, Everybody's busy, right? We all work all day. We have to go to industry events. Look, as I sh- I'm off to the TED conference immediately. As soon as I get done with this show, I'm standing up. I'm in the car, and I've got to dash to the airport to make my flight. Now, on weekends, we kind of sit around and, you know, we, we work on our own personal stuff. I think the challenge being, though, is is that if you don't get specific in the questions, we tend to want to apply our own Experiences, our own perspectives that we know, you know, their customers. Oh, I've been in this industry for 20 years. I know exactly what the customers want. Or, hey, I'm a typical customer. This is what I would want. Uh, in fact, you know, years ago in my, uh, uh, and when I was CTO at HP, I sat in an engineering review and this engineer was pitching an idea and I'd asked, and I got to the end and I didn't quite get the idea. I'm like, well, why? Would you want to put that feature in this product? And he goes, "Oh, because I I want it. This is something that I personally want." And I'm like, "Well, oh, that's great. You've now designed a product for the 47,000 engineers at HP because they're the only ones that are going to be able to figure out how to use this thing." Um, so be careful. You can't always be, you know, you can't you can't view yourselves. You got to go out and do those observations. You got to engage. You got to do your own investigation. Don't fall back on your own biases um, and what you'll find is, is that when you get out there and you really start digging into and you do your own investigation, don't trust anything you've read, don't trust anything you've uh, you you've come up with or things that you feel for yourself because we'll, we all suffer from what we call confirmation bias. We'll find data points that agree with what we think should be right versus really going after and doing our own investigation. So get out there and do your own investigations. And what you'll see though is is that the the quality of the ideas are just so much better when you go off and you do your own investigations. They will be orders of magnitude better than anything you, than you, that you've done before, right? So that'll get us up through the the, the first three of the what I call the six um, golden laws or rules around, uh but I'm brainstorming. Now we got three more to go, but I have prepared kind of a more detailed description of each of the rules. You can get that at killinnovations.com slash six rules. So you can do it as SIX rules, all one word, or the number six rules. So you can download that again, killinnovations.com slash six rules. When we come back from this commercial break, we are going to uh, pick up Finish up the last three of the rules, but then also talk just a little bit about leadership. In an upcoming show, we will cover the uh, how to run a brainstorming session. So stay right there. We'll be right back. You're listening to Killer Innovations on the BizTalk Radio Network.
0: BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Welcome back to Killer Innovations. I'm Phil McKinney, your host. Uh, We're talking about the six golden rules of running a brainstorming session. We've all been involved in ones that have just gone miserably bad. Sometimes we've got, gotten involved in ones that are actually run very well. And we're never quite sure why they run so well. So I'm sharing with you what I've come up with as my six golden rules for running innovation and, or running brainstorming sessions. So the first one, rule number one, set the focus. Give people a target to go after. Rule number two, assign homework. Let people get some context. Get their minds wrapped around the target area, that, the focus area that you've assigned. And then rule number three, encourage investigation. Don't rest on kind of your history or your view of yourself or your knowledge. Get out there and really look at some uh, investigations. And let's pick up with rule number four, which is don't filter. We all have assumptions. We all have kind of things that, oh, it worked in the past, or we tried that before and it didn't work. We always, we have these biases particularly when you get asked a question and you jump in and you go oh i know how to answer that question that should be your red flag that bias is kicking in do not filter the whole point of getting into a brainstorming session is to come up with something new don't answer it with the obvious answer the key is to get beyond that obvious answer find the uh, the non-obvious answers to the questions because guess what your competition they are going to come up with that obvious answer. They're going to stop there. They're going to focus. Those killer ideas, those things that create game-changing innovations are those non-obvious answers. So rule number four, don't filter. Don't let your bias kick in and start filtering out um, assumptions or you think you already know how to answer the homework assignment that you were given um, as part of rule number two. Don't. Stick with it. Rule number five: Set a schedule for generating ideas and stick to it. Now, a lot of people will sit back and tell themselves, "Oh, you know, when I have time for it, I'll get to it. I'm going to put it off on my to-do list, you know." But the odds are you're never going to get back to it unless you're in this game. You know, like for me, I have a daily regiment of how I generate ideas, whether that's ideas for myself, ideas for the company where I'm CEO or ideas for other companies that I'm helping out. I have a daily regiment where I am constantly developing and coming up with those new ideas. So the key here is is that you need to set aside time. Now that could be 15 or 30 minutes a day to really focus on that ideation. In the last segment of of the radio show, we typically will go into what we call the killer question. And I encourage you, just take 10 minutes a day. So it's kind of like getting exercise in the gym. You just can do 10 minutes a day, and you you do it for 30 days, it becomes a habit. Then you can make it to 15 minutes, and then you can make it to 30 minutes. And just think if you could really exercise that creative muscle, how many ideas and how many great killer ideas you can come up with. Now, the key when you're running a brainstorming session is set the schedule. Don't let it just ramble on for hours and hours and hours. Time, you know, people will start... You know, running out of that energy, it's better to break it down into smaller sessions. Um, you know, you don't want to uh, you, you don't want to cause it to to be stretched out where people are just kind of floundering. You want to kind of end on that high note when people's energy is really good and people are pretty satisfied. Um, You know, but I've seen brainstorming sessions go on for three or four hours into generating ideas. And I don't know, man, I don't don't know how my brain would work for three to four hours. Um, So you need to time it based on energy. You can split it up in the multiples, but you need to set the schedule. You need to set the schedule for yourself. If you're doing it for yourself, you need to set a schedule for your organization. And you may just want to say, you know, once a month you're gonna hold a brainstorming session and you're gonna change the topics, you're gonna to change the homework assignments, and you kinda of get people into that regiment. That's another option. And then rule number six ranking isn't a dirty word. Lots of brainstorming sessions, people come up with all kinds of crazy ideas. We write them all down, put type them up, send them around. But there's two three hundred ideas in that. You need to rank them. Now. There's lots of podcasts that I've done for Killer Innovations on how to rank. Um, but, you know, in my previous job at HP as a CTO role, we would get 2,500 to 3,000 ideas a year, and we would actually have a process to go through and kind of find that proverbial needle in a haystack. And it's not all that sophisticated. It isn't a bunch of financial analysis. It's answering five questions. You get a minimum of eight people to, to uh, vote. So you're basically laying crowd wisdom and we ask five questions. And the questions are very specifically worded to uh, cause you to to kind of ignore your bias and focus on really the the quality of the idea. So like I said, there's lots of uh, episodes of the podcast. You can go back and look through the archive. But you need to rank the ideas. Because what you'll find at the end is ranking at the end actually turns out to be incredibly powerful. You will notice that the attitude of the people when they leave that workshop is that it's not just that we came up with 300 ideas, but we got these three ideas that are just really great. And what I found when I do the ranking is I'll get the top 2 or 3% up at the top of the list. There's a big gap, and then the rest of the ideas. And it's that top 2 to 3% of the ideas that you want to take a real hard look at and start the process of moving them uh, through your innovation funnel. But you got to find them. And out of 200 and 300, you do not want it to be a beauty contest. You want to apply some rigor to this. But you want this process to be lightweight enough to where it's not overly burdensome. And I always require at the end of a brainstorming session that all ideas are ranked. So the the deliverable at the end of a brainstorming session are those top two or three ideas um, coming out of it. So again, in this in this segment, we talked about number, rule number four was don't filter. Rule number five was set a schedule and stick to it. Don't let you just wander off. And then rule number six was uh, ranking. Make sure you do the ranking. So what do you need to do now as a leader of a, of a workshop? Now, brainstorming sessions or workshops have multiple elements. You've got the participations. you got to come up with the questions and so on. But at the end of the day, the quality of the ideas directly relates to the ability to create a highly functional, highly effective group. Recruiting people to the brainstorming session is absolutely critical, and if you're a leader running a brainstorming session, you need to do focus on that recruiting, and that includes diversity—not just diversity from an HR perspective, but from diversity from, you know, where we, people were raised, what school do they go to, are they all born in the U.S.? Do you have people from outside the U.S.? The broader the diversity, um, the better. So, but but the key there is once you've recruited them, then you've also got to prepare them. Now, in the workshops I run, they typically have multiple participants, but the representatives from all the relevant divisions. Not everybody from sales, not everybody from marketing. Again, that plays into the diversity. But this approach also works for small businesses and it works for individual entrepreneurs. I do innovation coaching and innovation mentoring, coaching, helping people long term on their career basis around innovation, um, innovation coaching around a specific project, maybe a brain helping someone get ready for a brainstorming session, think through their questions, etc. So don't be discouraged if you're a one or two person operation thinking, oh my gosh, this doesn't apply to me. It does. You can apply it whether you know 240,000 employees such as a company like Hewlett-Packard, or you can apply it to uh, you by yourself, sitting in uh, at your uh, kitchen table. What if you are by yourself? The one suggestion that I would make, though, is get yourself kind of an executive board. It could be your lawyer, your accountant, maybe an angel investor, some other business people in the area that are, uh, you know, that that that, are, that have done this before. Find some of them, and you can actually have them participate in your brainstorming session. Now, I do that for a lot of uh, inventors and small entrepreneurs. Um, and then, again, you just get the two to th- two three people involved Get th- if they're passionate and supporting your effort. So even if you're a small company, brainstorming is actually a great opportunity. And in an upcoming show, I'm going to walk you through actually how I run my brainstorming sessions. So uh, follow us. Follow us on over on iTunes, and uh, we'll do that. We're going to wrap it up here. We're going to go into the fourth segment, which will be the killer question this week. But before we go, I have one favor to ask, and that is, can you go over to iTunes and just give us a review, rate us, and just leave us a comment there? Uh, it has a big impact on our overall rating within iTunes, and therefore uh, allows more people to see and, and hear about Killer Innovations. So just take it. it. takes you you know 45 seconds just to run over to iTunes, search for Killer Innovations, or you can search for Phil McKinney, find the show, give us a rating. That's big, big help. That's It uh, helps us uh, get higher up on, on the listings. Also, don't forget, you can go to killinnovationscom slash six rules and download the document, which actually gives you more details around the six golden rules and how that applies. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're going to go into the last segment of the show where we talk about the killer question of the week. So you don't want to go anywhere. And you're listening to Killer Innovations. On the BizTalk Radio Network
0: BizTalk Radio. This is Killer Innovations, a show about ideas, creativity, and how you can innovate. Welcome to the Innovator's Garage, where you learn to create your next game-changing killer innovation.
1: Welcome back to Killer Innovations, this week's killer question. Now, killer questions are those questions that, when asked, cause you to look beyond that obvious answer. They cause you to kind of think more about what it is um, you're, uh, you're, you're thinking about whether it be a problem, a product, a new kind of service, the way to look at your customers. So this week's killer question is, is, who do I not want to use my product now but may want to in the future? Who do you not want to use your product now? Now you're thinking, oh, my gosh, why would I ever want that? I want every customer. We tend to assume that any customer is a good customer. But in some cases, you're not in a position where you want them now, but you may want them in the future. So now this is, uh, you know, this is just one of those questions that tend to cause people to kind of just, you know, the brains to fritz out. Now, let me give you an example. Now, do you remember back to dial up internet service? You know, this is back coming off of mainframes and really before uh, the internet really became accessible to everybody. You know, in the early 90s, companies like AOL and CompuServe, Earthlink, um, I, I had my first account was on the source um, and they began offering access to the web and it was really it was billed by the minute. The more you used it, the more you paid. Logical, right? Now these three companies essentially offer the same product on the same terms and very quickly people who use the service they offer divided into two camps. Now the majority logged on once or twice a day, checked their email, read some sports stats or gossip and then logged off. However, A small minority logged in for hours or days at a time, and those people quickly ran up bills into the thousands. Now, pop quiz. Is this a good thing or a bad thing for your business? These high-volume users loved the service, but paradoxically, their passion for what you offer will almost inevitably force them to stop or drive them into untenable situation if they try to continue, you know. You know, you heard stories of kids staying up all night um, online and the parents getting these absolutely massive bills. So if you're running AOL or CompuServe or Earthlink in the early 90s, what do you do? Do you continue the same pricing structure that strongly disfavored your most ardent users or figure out some way to continue improving profits without punishing the people who really love what it is you do? In other words, would you decide to keep or push out those high-use customers? In the end, AOL was the first to take a radical step to address these questions. In in 1996, they switched from a pay-per-minute to a flat fee, unlimited usage. Now, this was daring. As a parent at that time with my kids, I loved it because it saved me a lot of money. But this was daring because they risked seriously alienating the low-usage customers who were used to paying less than the $20 a month that they were going to charge. On the flip side, they had to massively upgrade their infrastructure in order to accommodate demand. AOL was bombarded with complaints about busy signals and slow speed. Users used to joke that AOL meant for always offline. And it used to be that once you got logged in, you never signed out. Because your odds of getting dialed back in almost was to zero. Now, for a short while, it looked like they might have made a poor decision. However, this new flat rate addressed a fundamental fear that even low-usage customers had with the old pricing formula. Namely, not knowing what the monthly bill was going to be. So AOL's new strategy took away the stress that came with worrying about the bill. Parents no longer had to hover over the kids and nag them about getting offline. The result was that the company shot ahead of all the others and became the leading ISP through really through the early 2000s. The other companies, EarthLink, CompuServe, Prodigy, quickly copied AOL's new pricing structure, but AOL had the huge advantage of being the first mover. Now, in the early days of the mobile phone industry, telecom companies grappled with similar issues on the cell phone. Parents would toss a cell phone into their baby's crib. Uh, You know, dial another phone from it and keep it online all all night when the first cell phone guys went to this unlimited usage. And basically, it was tied to this kind of free evenings. This was a big problem in the UK where they were the first to go to the free evenings. And parents were basically tying up the mobile network using their mobile phones as baby monitors. More recently, people have used their smartphones as jerry rig security systems for streaming live footage in their living rooms or from their uh, offices. And anyone who experienced problem with AT&T's network in urban areas can understand why this might be an issue. So, are these customers abusive? Do you want them? Should you penalize them for using vastly more than their share of the network and compromising connectivity for other users? Or if I was if I was still working in the wireless industry, and look, I spent the late '80s, '90s, early 2000s in the wireless industry. I'd be looking for ways to understand and migrate the high-volume users into some form of a different program. You don't want them using the core, but you want to keep them. It's that situation where not now, but soon. Um, and if you want to see an abuse, is actually foresight. It's really when you what you think of as, as abuse are really the predictors of what's coming next. You just haven't figured out how to separate out them from the other guys and then figure out how do you take advantage of them. So what are some of the sparking point questions? Do you have customers who consistently take more than their share of what you're offering? And is this a problem for you? If it's a problem, why is it a problem? Is it compromising your other customer's experience or taking an inordinate amount of time for you to deal with? And are these people really abusing you and what you do or have they simply found a new way to use your product? Are they finding value you haven't anticipated? And are they showing you an unanticipated use that you could monetize? So they may not be a cut, you may not want them now, but you're going to want them in the future. So don't think of it as abuse, think of it as opportunity. So as we wrap up this week's uh, show, I want to thank you for taking the time to join us, joining us on Facebook. We're live on Facebook streaming, live on the radio show where you're listening to us on the podcast. So uh, uh, this week, if uh if you like what you heard, jump over to iTunes, give us a rating, um, rate the show, give us a little bit of feedback. We, we read them all. If you have questions or comments, send them to me at phil at killinnovations.com. Uh, also check it out. We, we have a, a bunch of show bonus materials over on the show page. So you can go over to killinnovations.com, look through the last three shows. We're giving away some bonus material to help you in your own efforts. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the show here. Really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, join us. Thanks, Jeremiah, for being in the studio and keeping me on track. You're listening to Kino Innovations. Don't let the antibodies get you down. Keep on innovating. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.
0: opinions you hear on BizTalk Radio are those of the hosts, callers, and guests, and do not necessarily reflect those of this station, BizTalk Radio, its management, or advertisers. The information on BizTalk Radio does not constitute a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or service. If you have any questions about BizTalk Radio, contact us at 817-274-1609 or at biztalkradio.com.
1: BizTalk Radio.